International. Get it twisted. They told me to say that. So what are you eating for lunch? Isn't it a little late for lunch? Is this the episode? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. We got some brown jasmine rice. Ooh, exotic. Um, sautéed kale made with apple cider vinegar. Um, I have a nice Ethiopian lentil stew that I made myself. Very proud of it. Nice. I can share the recipe afterwards if you'd like. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If you got any jira um, there. Half an avocado and a now we're talking. soft-boiled egg. This is yeah, oh, I do like a soft-boiled egg. Six minutes? Right at six minutes? Actually, word on the street is mm-hmm. five and a half. Five Whoa. and a half if you're, if you're nasty as your... I'm dangerous, yeah. My friend Pete Holmes would say. Um, it depends on how big the egg is, right? Or how hot yeah. your water is. Yeah. Just a There's a lot of variables. A lot of variables. We, we've, we've learned how to uh, boil eggs at my um, the juice and smoothie place where I work. Um, uh-huh. Using just like a kettle of water. We have a whole thing. And, you know, six minutes is going pretty well. Yeah. Um, and I'll try five and a half. We'll see. I mean, okay. I was just listening to uh, a podcast called Love Somebody, Alexa or something, that you were on. Alexi. Alexi. She's the most recent um, podcast that I saw of you on the Laughable app. And uh-huh. she was just going on and on about how it was like the only time she'd ever enjoyed doing her podcast was with you and that she wants to have your babies now and you were just so funny. And I was like, hmm. Yeah. I think she says that to everybody. Is that just like her catch? Okay. Oh, her tag I think is, I want to have your babies. Pretty much, yeah. I think that's what, is that what her podcast is? I, I was thinking it was like comedy, and then I realized, I was like, is this just like her trying to date her interviewees? Or just find donors. <laughs> you mean like sperm just, donors? Just to get the feeling of sperm in her vagina? Yeah. Wow. Sounds like okay. she's ready for motherhood. A lot of people are into hey. that. Don't shame them. Alexi, Chris. if you are listening, I am not involved in this conversation <laughs> at all. No, but you sound cool, Alexi. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's just get into it. You know, I don't know how to... I can't... The, 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 the normal banter that just comes up when you can see someone, how do we... I don't know. Maybe every once in a while, Chris could be like, a uh, heartfelt shrug, you know, just to let us mm. know. Like, you're a, right. Yeah, let us know what, you're, what your face is doing. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm still secretly eating my lunch right now. I mean, I can hear it, but... 
Oh, I like, but I like food eating sounds. I've heard a lot of people have a problem with them. I actually like a subtle chewing. Oh, you're a it freak. depends on the food. It depends on the food because, like, sometimes it's it's too vivid for the imagination for people. You know, like when Foley artists put in like a Wheaties crunching. Yeah. When someone's yeah. eating, oh, that's the best sound. You may as well be like stepping on leaves in a forest. Wow. Even it's as like a kid. ASMR. Yes, it's kind of like that. I don't get I don't get ASMR from that, but I do like ASMR. And I like when that This American Life episode came out, I had found the answer to questions that I'd had for a long time. So, huh. do y'all get ASMR? No, I, I, really? I don't know what I don't a hundred percent understand what it is apart from just people speaking in whisper voices and like touching chimes. So okay, if you do you remember when you got your hair checked for lice as a kid, like in elementary school when they would go around and check everyone? Oh, yeah. Do you remember that feeling? Yes. See, I at least for me that's ASMR, and then like I can get it. I'll have. I used to have. Um, well, I guess I still do if it ever happens, but like girlfriends, I would like make them play with my hair that way, like specifically, um, like take chopsticks or whatever we could find and play with my hair, like, and make them like quote unquote check for lice. You must've had a nicer mom than me. My mom went hard with that comb. Oh, it was always the nurse at school, not my mom. Oh, my mom would do Hmm. little home inspections. Oh man, no, yeah. And then if I uh, once I heard that this American Life thing, I used to have my ex-wife like talk as if she was a nurse, and she was pretty good at that. So shout out, <laughs> shout out to Shayna. <laughs> yeah, shout out to your ex-wife. Cool. Yeah, it's the one good thing that and the cats. Um, <laughs> all right. So wait, you've been doing comedy for like nine and a half years, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Two thousand seven. When's your uh, anniversary coming up? Your ten year. Um. 2008 actually uh august august yeah. uh-oh yeah you have any plans to right. celebrate yeah um yeah just quit you know before <laughs> goes any further. Uh, uh yeah no uh i don't have any plans I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, I was I was trying to listen to some other podcasts, and so I listened briefly to you and Pete Holmes back in 2012 when you did his podcast. You were like three and a half years in, and y'all were talking about like, oh, maybe you wouldn't be nervous anymore after five years. You'd be able to function normally. <laughs> do you think that's Do you think that's true? Do you remember five years being a turning point for the nerves? Um. Man, I don't even remember what I was nervous about. I think <laughs> I think I used to just think like, oh, they're going to hate me, you know? Mm-hmm. Every time I would be about to go on stage, I'd be like, oh, they're going to hate me. And I definitely don't think that anymore. I definitely get nervous when I'm not prepared, mm. um, yeah. which is my own damn fault. But, um, yeah, I don't feel like, I don't feel as much like they're going to hate me anymore. Word. Um and sometimes I'm wrong and they do hate but yeah but it's like there's no point hating yourself beforehand good. but it's not because yes. you weren't prepared you know <laughs> or it is right <laughs> or um, it might be yeah. <laughs> so is there anything though I mean like you know I mean I'm nearly four years in and the nerves I certainly have diminished and diminished and diminished and like yeah I still sometimes get nervous but like you say like if you're kind of unprepared and you're like well, am I prepared should I be nervous but no. um, but I'm wondering as you have passed five seven nine now you're at the ten year mark are there have you continued to have these things where you're like oh this is I just made a quantum leap or oh this things are changing like is there a feeling of um, you're getting your ten year pin mm 
No, I feel a little bit stuck right now, but um, a couple of things have changed that I think are important. Um, a few months ago, I did a show and um, and there were only, there were like, I don't know, seven people in the audience or something. Yeah, still and happening the, at nine and a half years, everybody. <laughs> yeah, you can have this too if you just keep <laughs> with it, you guys. Um, but yeah, I got off stage my set was okay. I mean, there were seven people there, you know? My yeah. set was okay. And I, I got off stage, and I, uh, I have this habit that I had never noticed of, if my set is not, like, killer, amazing, spectacular fireworks, you mm -hmm. know? Um, a lot of times, just unconsciously, this has become a habit at some point. I would, like... Uh, I would look sort of down at my phone mm. and I would be like saving the recording on my phone and typing in like where it's from and what date it is and stuff. Yes. But in doing so, I was also like sort of not looking at anybody and kind of avoiding uh, the vulnerability of. Yeah. And isolating myself in that moment. And then I'll like go over into like a corner or against the wall somewhere and I like finish typing in the information and then I just kind of stand there and I like don't look at anybody and uh and when this happened like I just had never really been conscious of what was going on and and so this show a couple months ago I caught myself and I was like I realized I was beating myself up about not having like an amazing set yeah and that that's just like this habit that I have had for years at this point. And so it's like, well, yeah, how can I even feel comfortable doing stand up if that is what awaits me at the other side of a, a set that's not like amazing, yeah. you know? And I guess the psychology behind it, I think, was like, you know, just this internalized shit that like, if I don't like, make myself suffer about it how can i learn to do anything different you know <laughs> but but like it doesn't make me do anything different it just makes me unhappy right you know it, it doesn't then make me go like oh yeah i should try harder and write more and <laughs> review my audio of my sets and all this it's stuff just it just makes me like miserable yeah yeah and it makes you look stupid honestly i mean because I, I i only say this because i do this too it's like if if it's even like anything less than an a or or it's you kill and then right at the end something slightly weird anything yeah and then you get yeah. off and you're like well just because you want people to come up to you maybe and be like hey great set and then because there's can be that moment too where you're like well i'd really like someone to come up and be like hey that was a great set so that i don't hate myself for whatever little thing just I'll happened like go up to the host and apologize and they'll be like bro what are you you're talking about fishing <laughs> for like help yeah, yeah and but in that moment if you come off stage and you look confident and happy um then everyone in the audience or who, anyone who looks at you or notices you is going to be like yeah cool great you know but if you walk yeah. off looking sheepish they're going to be like yeah that was kind of weird <laughs> so if anything you're doing yourself a huge disservice to do that and by you i mean apparently all of us i mean who cares about the audience though really? <laughs> well i just want to like push my pod my other podcast off onto oh, okay. audience members and stuff like that uh -huh. so Great. i need gotcha. them to think i'm cool so that yeah they'll follow me oh, on nice. instagram or whatever <laughs> i gotta, yeah. gotta build that um well so have you have you changed that now yeah um i think i've become more conscious of it for sure i mean even at the at that time that particular evening it was like 
Oh, actually, I did what I could, and it's over. And maybe there are things that I could have done differently. And okay, I can try to do them differently, but I don't have to like beat myself up about it. And also, let's be realistic. Like there were seven people here. Yeah. You know, maybe I could have destroyed or whatever, but it, it was good for there being seven people in the audience and i can be okay with that um and yeah now i just try to have less of that sometimes i don't catch it you know mm -hmm. i have like some i go to a comedy club and then i have like a weird set or something on a weekend with somebody and then next thing you know i find myself backstage ordering two scoops of ice cream or something it's like huh <laughs> this is a weird habit that i only have after i didn't feel good about a set yep. interesting so, 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 but do you try purposely now to, when you're walking off stage, not immediately be like, well, finish the recording, look down, name the thing. Um, do you try well, to hmm. like keep your head up or engage? Um, well, just to be clear, I, I don't know, like, uh, if, if this is the way you're intending to interpret it, or if I'm hearing something different than what you're saying, but my focus is not i don't really care so much about the head down or disconnecting from the room or how people are perceiving me mm -hmm. that's not the part i'm really concerned about it's more about like what is behind that you know like right. I, I don't care if people are like oh that was kind of weird it's more about like am i gonna be doing stand-up for years and constantly beating myself up every time i have a not yeah. great set you know yeah um so maybe I don't think about it like as I'm immediately exiting the stage, like head up, smile, <laughs> yeah. wave, you know, yeah. but I just try to like, you know, cause it takes me a second to even get out of like the mode of where I'm thinking that I'm on stage, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's like once I stop, you know, like you walk from the stage point A to whatever point B is then I'm like, I have a second to check in with myself and be like, wait, what am I doing? Gotcha. Yeah, I guess um, for me, it's just so tied. Like, I feel like I have to fake it till I make it in that way. If I yeah. walk off stage and I like, let's say it's one of those narrow situations where you can either kind of like walk like halfway or you can walk where other the other comics are going to be or something like how far back are you going to walk before you put your head down and mm -hmm. and do the recording to me i'm like if i walk off with, with my head up and walk to the back no matter what like that would help me to not be beating myself up i think it puts me in mm -hmm. the uh, in the routine of like Oh, let me beat myself up first when I put my head down and be embarrassed while I put my, you know, while I name this file and then, sh you know, slink back and hope that someone says good set to me as the way, like, mm -hmm. but it sounds like you're less um, driven by what other people think about you than I am. So <laughs> I mean, it comes with nine and a half years. Maybe. Well, it might not be a good thing. Um, you know, I think we are supposed to care what some people think and stand up that is part of the point so yeah. maybe you have the right idea i don't but but i think you're right too though like in the self-care aspect of it like it's gonna be a much harder career if you're constantly beating yourself up at, after every yeah. not so yeah. great set than if you just totally. kinda, like take it on the chin and be like well that sucked but it's over and i got more yeah 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 i think your brain unconsciously learns a lot too every time anyway i used to think about that a lot like do i need to 
beat myself up on purpose or will I just learn over time even if I don't sit there and churn through all of these thoughts? I think people on yeah. the internet will do it for you now. You don't even uh, have to pick God. up the weights. Yeah, thank, thanks, Finally. thanks, internet people. Yeah. Um, all right. So you, where did you start doing comedy? I started doing comedy in San Francisco. Interesting. Um, how old are you? I'm 31. 31. So you started like right after college? Um, did you go to college? Actually, During college. I didn't go to college and I moved to San Francisco when I was 19. Ah. And I, um, I had thought about doing stand-up for a number of years. And when I lived in San Francisco prior to doing stand-up, I was going to open mics and watching and sometimes signing mm. up and they would call my name and I wouldn't respond. <laughs> um, so there was a, a period of like really uncomfortable procrastination where I was like, I'm going to do this. But I like hadn't written any jokes or anything. I just was like, yeah, you just go up there. I don't know <laughs> what I was thinking, but yeah, eventually I went to uh, a local show and I had been there a couple different times and I think they just kind of, you know, you have like this stench on you if you're like thinking about doing comedy that yeah. other comics are perceptive to, you know? Yeah. And so like this local show, they advertised on this local website. So it was like sfstandup.com and they had their weekly showcase that they did. And you could get free tickets if you sent an email to the certain whatever. They did a drawing allegedly, but... I probably was the only person emailing them. <laughs> and so like, you know, after more than one time of that happening, the guy who would like take my name at the door and be like, yeah, you won the drawing, I guess. So here you go, <laughs> free ticket. He was like, you thinking about doing comedy? And I was like, yeah. And he was <laughs> like, well, you know, like we do an open mic every Wednesday at this place. So if you ever want to go on, let us know. And I was like, okay. But like, I had been to that place so many times already. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, actually that person, this guy, Chad Lehrman, who weirdly enough, also he's from Tucson where I'm living right now mm -hmm. and he lives here now, <laughs> but, um, he, uh, married? Gay, gay we, that is we are Gary Mary. Gary you're married? <laughs> That's what they call it. Um, mm. Gary Mary. Um, Chris there comes but, out on leading the blind. You heard wow, it first. everybody. Um, Alexi's going to be he, so hurt. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Alexi. <laughs> but now there's two people who have sperm for somebody. Anyway, um, okay. Oh God! It was okay two, when you guys said it, but you can get two hot loads, two donors. Um, okay. Alexi, that is what Chris said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wasn't involved in this podcast, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So he was like, "Yeah, if you want to go up sometime, let us know." And I kind of feel like I don't know if that's what I was waiting for. Was just someone to be like, "You can do this" mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, but you know, five days later, I had spent the last few days like writing a set and writing notes and and like rehearsing it to myself and making my friends listen to it and running it on the phone and timing it making sure it was five like under five minutes or whatever right and then like and then i finally did stand up after but putting it off for three years just some guy that i didn't know being like, yes you can if you want that is a essentially my story but were you like that were you made your friends listen or and had it all timed and 
it was one of those things where I was always super obsessed with it and I would talk about doing it all the time and eventually my friends got sick of it to where they're like Brett you either have to sign up for an open mic or stop talking about it but for your first set were you like super rehearsed or did you just be Um, a cool person I I was not super rehearsed but I Mm. was teching a stand-up comedy show I was taking block party for about a year uh, before I went on stage. So I was watching everybody okay. just get up and bomb in what was basically an empty basement gotcha. <laughs> for a year. Yeah, that's probably a good uh-huh. way to to figure out how to, you can just get up there. Uh-huh. Yeah, but eventually, like with all these stories, I think it's like we all kind of had the interest, but you wait for someone to push you or like give you the permission to be like, you know, it, it's okay to want this. Yeah, you need some kind of validation. Yeah. Um, well, one thing, just to clarify, um, the weird thing is people had been really supportive, so I don't know why it took that. Just, like, you're just a scared, scared little boy. I mean, I guess just like, uh, my friends were like, yeah, you should do stand up. And then at one point I had that, like the comedy Bible or whatever, you know, that oh, book. Yeah. I had that and I had a friend that was like my comedy buddy as like <laughs> prescribed in that book. And we were trying to, like, I was trying to work out a set with his help. And, like, I was just, it it didn't work. Nothing happened. And that was, like, even years before I started doing stand-up. But you started at, like, 21, right? 23. 23? Oh, I guess my math is... 22, 20... How old am I going to be in August? (laughs) 32. 32. I started at 22. Gotcha. Well, that's pretty good, though. I mean, young. it's not like you'd put it off for that long. Um, okay, so you're in San Francisco. You start going to the open mics. I take it that mm-hmm. as soon as you get on the first one, you start going regularly? Um, yeah, I did two mics in the first night, and then I did over 200 sets in the first year. Yeah, okay, yeah. Was, once you did it, you were you were in it. Um, yeah. And then how did it go in San Francisco? Like, how long were you there? It went- First of all, I was there almost four years. Really? Okay. Um, so it went really well. I mean, it was a very nurturing scene and it seems to value, um, you know, comics are unique and comics are smart. And I don't know. I loved it. And like so many people from my scene are you know do like great things are happening for them now and that's really so satisfying to see um like so many people i just feel like all the people that i love like have stuck with it and are great things are happening good um so yeah so four years ago were there a decent amount of like showcases or um some clubs um so there's the punchline in san francisco which is like my home club um then there's Cobbs, which is like it's the same sort of like booking company but it's it's more of a sort of cavernous space where celebrities do stand up kind of um and then there were some clubs outside of the city and like nearby suburbs and smaller cities and stuff but i never really got in the scene um I just kind of like got myself in the alt scene and maybe a little more than I could have or should have, you know, like in terms of 
being well-rounded and being more familiar with like working clubs and stuff early on yeah um how did you get ahead. into the alt scene was it just like someone just from the like, or just by default yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like everybody i knew i mean the only way you could we were all starting and you know you make your own opportunity right. so that was pretty much it and then uh but then again i mean to be fair i don't really know what else it it i mean it all i left i wasn't there very long three and a half years is not a long time so i can't really be like yeah you know you gotta make your own opportunity because blah 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 i mean it's like i was in at the club before i left but like they really are strict about who they pass and stuff like that to make sure that you're qualified to even host at the club Mm -hmm. so i can't act like you know it's for a reason that um you know maybe i wasn't higher up in certain parts of the scene because like there's quality control which is good yeah so did you move to la after san francisco i did yeah and why did you decide to make that move when you did um i moved it was like right before four years and i moved because i got offered a job um uh pete holmes offered me a job working on the pete holmes show Mm. um and we had met via myspace (laughs) really whoa yeah I, i wrote him a message on myspace comedy when that still was around and um asked for some like info and some advice and stuff and i was a big fan of his i really liked his comedy and this was when he was still living in new york and like i felt like i i I just found him on literally like on youtube he was like a suggested video based on something else i had watched and i saw his stuff and i thought he was so funny and then i was like oh cool i have like it felt like you know i found this person that nobody knows this is like my my obscure band or something right and so i was like and then i was like rooting for him and i also was like oh and and i'm doing stand-up now and like i would reach out to him and be like hey if you ever come in san francisco you know let me know if you want to book a show or if you go to la i can try to get you up here and then that turned into like he eventually came up and we met and we got along really well and then and shortly after that he asked me to be on the podcast which was like insane to me as a person who was like three and a half years in stand-up or something yeah and uh yeah it just was like i I, to me i was like this is the biggest thing that will ever (laughs) happen to me did and then shortly sorry go ahead Oh, yeah, just, like, shortly after that, he was like, yeah, so uh, Conan's going to be producing this TV show for me, and I'd like you to come down and work on it. And then at that point, I was kind of like, fuck you, because I was like, <laughs> I mean, you already had me on the podcast. you got to be kidding at this point, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I moved it right around four years, right before four years. So, I mean, you basically... You know, were handed some golden opportunities 
because of mm-hmm. because of you know opportunities you took, which is great, connections you reached out for. Do you think yeah. like do you think just being on the podcast that podcast in and of itself um, did that help you? Then when you go to LA, get start getting booked on shows and stuff there, or like and or just having the job. I mean, like what happened next? I guess when you get to LA, now you've you were on the podcast and then you moved to LA for the for yeah. the show, right? Yeah, um, it's hard to say. I mean, it really is that time. There's a confluence of events, I guess, where it's like I had been recently like on Twitter and I felt like, you know, like, oh, the cool people on Twitter are following me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, I was hosting a monthly show in San Francisco and I had like reached out to some LA comics and they came up and did the show. I had visited LA a couple times and done some of the better local shows that were around at the time. Mm-hmm. And then I had gotten to do the podcast, which also then like a bunch of people followed me on Twitter from that. And then I also was moving there with a job. Yeah. And I think I had also just like started featuring or maybe not featuring at that point, but at least going on the road with Pete. The first weekend that we did together, I wasn't featuring, but I think right after that, I started featuring for him. Oh, okay, so he started um, immediately taking you on the road. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it was kind of all these things at once, and yeah, and then I, that just kind of helped me, um, at least at first, you know, navigate into the L.A. scene a little bit. Yeah. Was there, I mean, were there parts of it that were really challenging for you? Because everything you presented so far is like, well, it was just smooth sailing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's how I'm, we can get into the other shit, but I'm just like, (laughs) uh, that is part of it. I mean, there's constant doubt that eternally threatens my progress with stand-up and my commitment to it mm. on a daily basis continuing to now yes um so that's part of it you know mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah like if i'm glossing over it giving the no no version i mean i hope i hope similar things happen to me um <laughs> but no it sounds like everything just keeps kind of moving forward and building at this point at like yeah and i mean it was really fucking hard and there was a lot of second guessing myself but also if i'm realistic like yeah that isn't the stuff that i necessarily remember like i am grateful so i'm giving you the grateful version but it wasn't always like just like I was lucky and it was easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a no, combination of, course. of those two things. Oh, yeah, this career is a nightmare for anyone. Um and yeah. no matter how how smooth some of the sailing is. Yes, of course, it's yeah. like it's an enormous amount of work and anxiety. Um yeah. but I'm just trying to figure like did it did it at least feel uh as you went along you're like okay, I'm progressing, I'm progressing, I'm progressing. Like things are moving forward. Um like it, was there any point in which something changed um or like i mean i'm just trying to figure out how you got from there to living in tucson so maybe just walk us through that (laughs) okay so um all right i live in tucson right now how long have you lived in tucson (laughs) i've lived in tucson since april so january february march uh nine months or so gotcha um so i lived in la 
and LA was really hard for me you know like what I what we're caught up to at this point like initially I felt like somewhat familiar with the scene and somewhat familiar with the people and welcome in some way right but at the same time the whole transition was really hard I lived in San Francisco for seven years Mm -hmm. and I was I never like had a car or anything and I was just like a a I would say probably like a binge drinking alcoholic at that point. Uh. Um, and then I moved to LA and I had to drive and I tried to exercise moderation and it really wasn't fun. Mm -hmm. And I stopped drinking, um, just over five years ago and thanks. And then, um, then I had to like, deal with my feelings and Ah. it became a lot harder (laughs) like my life is absolutely better i'm don't regret ever again but uh it's also like really fucking being aware of the shit that i was trying to run from before um just for the record do you um, use any other pot or any other drugs? Uh, no. I, you know, I would like to psychedelics like once or twice a year I'm open to, you oh, know? Okay. They all smoke pot like every two years. they like, oh yeah, I don't need to do this. Like, mm. uh, Sorry, you're cutting out a little bit. Um, oh, hello? Yeah, okay. yeah you now you're back. Um, okay. Yeah, so so psychedelics occasionally, maybe, and... Yeah, even and pot w- once every maybe two years, and then go like, yeah, I don't need to do this. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, so I was in L.A., I worked on the show, I was really stressed, it was really... I, I just felt, like, real... Uh, I just felt really lost, and I felt really naive, and I felt really out of place, and I felt like this looming sense of like imposter syndrome and inadequacy you know Mm -hmm. like i moved there and i had all these sort of potential opportunities available to me like people were wanting to meet about like maybe managing me and stuff you know Mm -hmm. and i being a fucking idiot uh would have like honest conversations with these people so they'd be like yeah so what do you want to do and i'd be like you know I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. (laughs) Not realizing that that's like the worst possible thing I could have said. And, uh, so, you know, those people didn't really come around anymore. And Mm -hmm. then, uh, I worked on the pilot of Pete's show, which was a few months. And then there was a year of waiting in between. And I was just like, now I felt like I was kind of in LA for no reason. You know, yeah. I didn't have a job anymore. So I was going on the road with Pete once or twice a month and it was fun, but I felt like, you know, he was kind of like helping me out in doing that. And that whole thing, our oh, relationship, I, I felt like the dynamic for me started to get weird. Cause I felt like, Oh, do I can't, you know, like I, 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 
I felt indebted to him and he didn't make me feel that way, but I, I felt that. Sure. And so I was like, I want to pay him back, but I can't, you know, there's nothing I can do for him. So like it just, and then I, again, this is my own shit. Um, but I also would like, was so afraid of like fucking up our working relationship that like anything that bothered me, you know, we were friends too, but anything that bothered me or concerned me or whatever, I would just try to stuff it down because I didn't want to fuck up our working relationship. Yeah. And then like, you know, I was like, uh, sort of unhappy and like our relationship was suffering, I'm sure as a result. Um, you really are gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, we, the show got picked up and we started working on the show and I was working as like a social media writer. So I handled all of the, like all, all any like web copy and posting for online and stuff like that. And like editing videos for YouTube or all this kind of stuff. And, uh, I felt, I mean, admittedly, I'm not proud to say it, but I was like, kind of bummed that I wasn't writing for the show oh, okay. even though I had this killer opportunity but it was like I was in the writer's room but I was the only one who wasn't a writer and so I was surrounded by writers and writing and laughter but I was like busy trimming YouTube videos and writing tweets and stuff for the show account so when he and, asked you to yeah, do it was it as a, the editing and web stuff person or were you originally going to be a writer um, on the pilot, I was a writer's assistant, and then on the show, they were just trying to find something for me. Gotcha. And so they didn't want to have me as a writer's assistant, but they were like, we feel like, you know, we're trying to get the show going, so it might be... I understand. It's like, it's a risk. You're trying to get the show going. You, you don't want to dedicate one writer's salary to someone who's never written before, yeah. you know? So, like... I totally get it. And honestly, it was a great opportunity, but at the time I just like didn't see it that way. Mm. You know, it's like, it's embarrassing, honestly, to say that now. Well, everything is like contextual and relative and it's just like, yeah, because of the relationship that y'all had and everything that had happened. I mean, I could totally see how you would feel that way, you know? Yeah. I mean, it also was weird because Pete, I think they gave me that job thinking that it wouldn't be, an actual job that I would have time to actually be, I was constantly encouraged to like, Oh, we want you to be in the writer's room. We would love to have you contribute and pitch in and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, great. But my job was an actual job. Yeah. You know, I had a full, a full slate. Like I was every episode that we did, I was having to like trim down each video into a segment that's under five minutes so that we can put it on YouTube without paying extra for it to stay up in perpetuity of, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. And I was just too busy to like contribute in the way that I was being encouraged to contribute. So that was kind of painful. Yeah, you know? that's frustrating. You know. And then, um, and then, uh, and then, shortly after, so the show ran for a few months, and then we weren't sure if we were going to go any further, if the network was going to bring us back. Mm -hmm. And then they brought us back, and then like as we were going into that second run of the show, my mom died. Oh. And that was like, again, it's just like, 
confusing, conflicting thing where I wanted to be there for my mom. It was totally came out of nowhere and it all happened very quickly. I mean, she got sick first, I guess I should say. Okay. But from that point to her passing was like four months oh, or shit. three months or something. And so it was like, I was trying to be there and be helpful and also not lose my job. And also like wondering, does this make me a bad person to like not just leave have the immediate yeah that i don't have the immediate impulse like i'll abandon everything and move in with my mom and take care of her full time you know where did your mom live she lived in el paso texas and uh yeah it was like around thanksgiving i got like i i found out somehow that she was in the hospital and it's like i wasn't getting information from people who i should have been getting information from and i was having to like do a lot of research myself which is hard to do long distance with medical stuff Mm -hmm. and you know then i saw her around christmas and she looked like shit she was in the hospital and she died of liver disease so she was like just fully like yellow skin jaundiced eyes like fully thin looked terrible and the doctors were saying stuff like yeah you know there's like a liver transplant program out of austin and it's like someone who's like a heavy duty alcoholic is not at the top of the list for a liver transplant Uh, so i think it was just kind of idle chatter but gotcha yeah and then in january i uh, spoke to a family member and they were like yeah so hospice is coming by tomorrow or something and i was like oh so this is terminal from transplant two weeks ago to now like this is legit like almost over and then uh by valentine's day basically she passed away and uh and then i stayed for the uh memorial service and then i was back to work yeah how was it like coming back to work after that (sighs) um i mean i I mean, things definitely feel different, I guess, before. It was sort of nice to be back, you know, just to be, like... Like, with my mom's passing, I felt like she had not been in a good place for a long time, even before she was sick. Hold on one second. Someone's at the door. I'm so sorry. (laughs) We'll edit this out. Husband's home. Hello. Mm -hmm. How are you? Oh, thanks so much. You're welcome. Have a nice day. Is that your boyfriend? Jeez, that was like pretty Oof. quick. Okay. Can't believe you treated Chad. You know, you didn't even kiss him or hug him. It sounded like yeah, pretty cool. Okay. Wow, this is quite possibly the most homophobic podcast I've ever done. That's what we're known for. Only the one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Is that so, when you? Uh, is that when you quit drinking? No, I had already quit. This oh, was like okay. 2014, so I had oh, okay. I had been sober for a while. I see. But um, yeah, I came back to work and wait. Are we, do we have a clean take now? Yeah, yeah, you're Sorry. good. But I am curious. I just want to get this timeline straightened out. So in 2014, you're still working on Pete Holmes' show. Uh, wait. Let I me see. get the timeline straight with <laughs> okay. myself. One second. Chris is counting on his fingers yes. for the listeners. Yes, that's correct. I moved in 2012. We started working on the pilot over that summer. Okay. And then we waited for a pickup, and we started 
I'm so confused, but yeah, sure. Something like that. As long as we're <laughs> in the relative, like that. But yeah, I, f- I forget. It how ran long from ago, 2013 to 2014. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay, and so so there, so that ended shortly after that, anyway, right? Yeah, my mom's life. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, your mom's life is the other one. Uh, you're the the show. Uh, yeah, in June of 2014, the show got canceled. Okay. Um, and so then what happens next? I mean, this whole time you're doing stand-up, like, several nights a week still, and and still sometimes going and with Pete. Um. Um, well, during the show, Pete was not really going on the road anymore because the schedule was so busy. Gotcha. And I was probably doing a lot less stand-up because the schedule was so busy. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't doing as much stand-up, and then... Um, yeah, Pete wasn't going on the road. So I was doing a little bit in LA, but I, I was like exhausted, you yeah. know, especially I was working in and around comedy all day and I like really had no energy to go home and be like, what's funny, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but yeah, then the show got canceled and I went to New York and I think I did a bunch of shows for, I was there for a few weeks. And then I came back to L.A. and was kind of like, well, fuck, now what, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I got, like, some occasional, like, little writing things here and there that would always be, like, 11 days, you know, or uh. something like that. And uh, I just... I was, like, on unemployment and, like probably should have gotten a job just any job a day job something to get me out of the house yeah but in my head i was like okay i'm on unemployment and like i'm gonna do stand-up and then i'm also like gonna just get another comedy job at some point you know like i'm a comedy writer now because i was the social media guy for a show yeah (laughs) and uh but you can pitch it as that you, you were pitching lines sometimes it is communication related i was not really pitching lines but uh yeah but i yeah so i was just kind of like not really sure what the fuck was going on and i think i was letting my pride get the best of me by being like yeah i don't want to get a job like i i I like uh, i work in comedy so i got to get another comedy job because i write comedy so comedy writer so Okay. And, uh, you know, side note, I still have, like, never written a pilot, <laughs> like, nine and a half years in. Like, I, I literally don't have one. Gotcha. So. Okay. Well, but I'm, you know, just so you know, I am a comedy writer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if anyone is listening and you need a comedy writer, Chris Thayer is ready. I mean, I think this year will be the year. That's yeah. my goal for no, year 10 of doing comedy. There you go. <laughs> is get, write a 30-page script about what it's like to be a white, straight male comedian. A voice we haven't Who doesn't heard. know he's gay. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't know um, he's gay. See, there you go. <laughs> There's the angle. Okay. Um, but but not uh, loads and this one chick who has a podcast. <laughs> Okay. Wow. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just like how uncomfortable it makes you when I say hot loads. Um, well, that's so weird because I said sperm earlier, <laughs> and someone was like, "Ew." Yeah, the word sperm is pretty gross. It's very clinical. It is really gross. It's actually gross. All right, well, keep tra- walking us through. I just want to know what happens next. So here you are. This is now like late summer, I guess, of 2014. You're too proud to get a job. Um, yes. You're doing stand up more now, though, right? Yeah, I'm doing stand-up more. Um, 
I'm like kind of flailing from job to job. I don't know what the hell I'm doing with my life. Okay. And uh, like, I think I continued to tour with Pete for a little while now that the show is not on the air anymore. Mm -hmm. And then like late 2014, maybe mm -hmm. we stopped touring together. Okay. It had been like two and a half years and we were kind of like, I don't know, like, I don't know, like, we don't know what else we're going to do unless we just tour together forever, you know? Yeah. And I um, felt like I was really, um, had become complacent where I was just kind of like, yeah, I'll like get shows with Pete and then I'll like do those shows with Pete and then like people get more shows and like I'll get to do the shows. Yeah. It was just like so naive. And, and so I think there was just a real lack of self-confidence kind of where it was like I would go on the road and we would go to these cool venues and I would in my head I really would just kind of feel like oh well you know like they, they don't have me here like they have Pete here and like Pete's bringing me so it's really like you know I'm just happy to like be here and so it doesn't really matter like I'm just here because Pete has me here and so I would like I never would would like get like booker contact info or like keep in touch or try to set up my own stuff later mm -hmm. it was just like uh nobody like wants anything to do with me like i'm just here because pete like gets to be here and you know whatever and i just like again like it just feels like a, a, a series of me like being given opportunities and not like having enough faith in myself to realize that they're even opportunities yeah you know like moving to LA, I was like, I'm going to move on. I'm going to work on the show. And then I would, like I said, people were like, Hey, we're management or whatever. And I was just like, huh, yeah, well not for me though. You know? Yeah. But anyway, gotcha. um, we stopped touring together. And then within a few months I started setting up my own tours in 2015. I did two, tours that were both pretty long one was somewhere over 2,000 miles and another one was like over 3,000 miles can you tell us more and about like what kind of stuff you were setting up uh yeah so I'm trying to think uh the first one was this tour that I called no one asked for this <laughs> and um I think it was like 19 shows in 17 days or something like that and mm -hmm. it was kind of like this figure eight from LA up through like Reno, Salt Lake City, Denver, like over that to area. Omaha. Yeah. But then like the Midwest, like and you're driving Minneapolis. in a van or something. Uh, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so I had for the first leg of the tour, I had my, my friend who's a great comic, Anna Saragina with me. Oh yeah. And, uh, I rented a car, we get to the fucking car rental place and they've got a Chevy Spark, which is essentially like a smart car with a back seat. Mm -hmm. um, and they literally had no other cars on the lot. And we had a show that night in Reno. And so that was it. We just had to leave. Yeah. But it was like the tiniest, like <laughs> sketchiest car to drive thousands of miles in. Yeah. And, and then like, you know, lucky for us, once we started getting out there on the road, it rained every day and it was terrifying. <laughs> oh my God. So that was cool. And 
Yeah, that was part of it was me driving that and Anna couldn't drive. <laughs> so I just drove the whole thing. <laughs> and I immediately got sick from like stress and lack of sleep. Yeah. Um and then we got up to like Denver and then I switched off and uh I rode around with uh Ian Mike Ian Doug Ian Douglas Terry mm-hmm. and Zach Zach Reinert and uh uh, what's his fucking name? God damn it. He's funny. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. This guy from Denver, Andrew. Ah, shit. Hmm. Anyway, I'm really sorry to him, but he's a good guy. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> uh, real but, quick, uh, but before we yeah. go on, um, what kinds of shows? Are, are these your self-booking at comedy venues or at, like, rock clubs or what's happening? Um... Yeah, it's like music venues and stuff. I basically would just reach out to comics in other cities, mm-hmm. and I would tell them what kind of venue I was interested in performing at. Okay. Because to me, I just am like, I would rather know that it's going to be intri- intimate, mm-hmm. um, kind of above all else. I just want to know that like the room will have a good feel to it, you know, because it's like... I, you know, I could have somebody set me up a show wherever, but if it's going to feel like cavernous and seem empty, uh, that sucks yeah. for everybody. His name is Andrew Bueno, by the way. I Andrew just bueno. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So just like small music venues. And then I also did like a festival in Omaha. I did Crom Fest and I did Crom West in Denver. So those kind of anchored the tour. But yeah, like music venues, I did like a cool backyard at like a house art space. I did a a movie theater in Albuquerque, just like any like intimate space that I could find that seemed appropriate for comedy. Go ahead. And how was uh, your experience going on a tour for yourself? Like this time you're not featuring, you are the feature. What was the difference in experience like that for you? Oh, I was the headliner, unless you mean yeah, feature as in headliner. Yeah, she, okay. you're the feature of the night. She okay, so... Uh, yes, I'm... Sorry. Yeah. No, no problem. The feature I, uh, presentation. Yes. It was cool. Like, I was trying to do as much time as I possibly could, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I also... It was a learning experience, you know? Like, the first tour, we had to drive, like, every single day, and the, the drives were, like, eight-hour drives yeah. every day. <laughs> And so, like I said, I immediately got sick. And then I did like a second tour a few months later and I did like 12 cities in 12 days, but they were only like four to five hour drives and it was so much more manageable. And, uh, but yeah, it was just like, it's cool to, I was always surprised that people were there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask about this and I kind of feel like it's a stupid question, but like how these are shows that you're booking the venue yourself and then having it promoted in some way. Like, how are you doing this promotion? Um, I'm just like, it's all online. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you're saying I'm having it promoted in the city as if there is some promotion, but I don't even know if there is, you know? Um, so I'm posting about it, but I also, I, like on Twitter uh, and Facebook, like what all Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. And if I have, uh, whenever I book these shows in other cities, I always book everyone else who's on the show or Mm -hmm. at least on this, that tour, both of those tours I did. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because I, you know, I just wanted to like watch some people's stuff, like know that we'll fit well together, and then also like make sure that the lineup has some diversity on it, you know. And uh, so yeah, I booked like every single person on every single show that was like my own show. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as a result, I think that those people invite people because they're doing a show. Gotcha. Uh, and then also in a lot of these, you know, scenes where I'd never been before, local comics come out and they've never seen me before. So they're, it's like a real audience, you know? Yeah. And then plus whatever people actually come to see a show. Gotcha. Or my show or whatever. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, do you, I've noticed that you, sorry, do you want to ask anything more about these tours? You're good. Uh, I've noticed that you do these videos on like Facebook where sometimes you're just talking to the camera or you're singing or it might be like stand up, but it kind of seems like a random one-off bit or something. Um, is this another thing where you're going to call me gay? (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty gay that you do all that shit. I've noticed you're like an all around entertainer. Like what's the deal? (laughs) Pretty, uh, queer. So you, but you're doing those things. Like, do you think that that's uh, something that helps you build a fan base and keep people engaged? Is that something you do on purpose in that way? Oh, I don't do anything if it doesn't get those metrics up. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, No, I literally don't think about it. I mean, I think when I, I think I still have like some, massive insecurity when it comes to Twitter where mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I want it to be good. Oh God. And then I just never tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, or I eventually give up and just be like, fine, I'm going to tweet about come yet again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with mixed success, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't really think, I don't think about that. You just uh, do it for fun. Yeah. That's it. You're, you're insecure on it's Twitter, but on Facebook, whole... you're like, I'll just put out whatever silly thing. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, actually, <laughs> I feel like I don't post stuff on Facebook unless I posted it somewhere else. And I'm like, huh, people seem to like this. Ah, so maybe there is still. It. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Well, even I if you're not doing these... it in a calculated way, do you think that it might help, though? I'm just wondering how you are building a fan base. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I wonder the same thing often <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, I don't really know. Like I do, you know, I'm on, I do podcasts. I did, I did stand up on comedy central and I don't think anyone really saw that. Um, when did you, the stand up on comedy central happen? Uh, it aired in 2016 in spring. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if anyone really saw that. And then I like go on the, I was People know me from my association with Pete for the most part. I featured with Pete for like two and a half years. I was on the podcast. I've been on the podcast more than any other guest. I've been on there like eight times, two Mm -hmm. one-on-ones and then like six live episodes or something. Uh. And um, yeah. And then like Twitter maybe, or I don't know. Like I really don't know. But when I was on tour, I was like, I was tracking every night i would like count how many people were there and i'm just like even if it's 20 people i'm like wow how the fuck did like 20 people come see me 
in Indianapolis. I've never been here. That this Pete is Holmes crazy. podcast is pretty popular. So totally. Um, yeah, being able but to the like, fact that they would then have to follow me and also show up to something is like yeah, you had to do shocking. something right, you know. Yeah. Um, get converting that into people being interested in you for sure. Yeah. Okay, so 2015, you're doing these tours. You're still living in LA. Um, what else is happening? Um, late 2015, I decide to move to New York. Hmm. And I do move to New York right after I get back from being on tour. Gotcha. Um, and I moved to New York and I'm like so depressed. <laughs> like deeply, deeply depressed. I moved there in November. So oh, I get there choice. just in time. Yeah. And, uh, I leave all my friends and the city I've lived in for like three and a half years, the sunshine, all the shit that I thought didn't matter. And, uh, I go to New York, I get there in the winter. I'm in hell. I'm so lonely. Like no one hangs out, you know, because it's fucking freezing. Yeah. And then I'm still insisting on living like on an LA schedule of being like, everything closes at two and I don't drink. So I like to be in bed by midnight anyway, you know? Yeah. And so I just like never hung out with anybody really. Okay. And, uh, I lived in this room that was seven feet by eight feet. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so not the worst, but not great. Mm -hmm. And then I got a phone call from somebody saying, hi, this is the wardrobe designer for Adam Devine's house party. I just want to call and talk to you about, you know, like getting your information. I had no idea what this guy was calling me about. Yeah. Like no one had told me that I was going to be doing Adam Devine's house party. <laughs> you just get the call I had from the wardrobe person. I, I it's like no shit like no <laughs> joke i guess they thought that i was with so I, at this point i had a manager okay and i think they thought that i was with one agency but i wasn't and so it kind of got lost in the shuffle and just no one thought to talk to me about it when did and you so, get a manager uh maybe 2013 or 14 so you finally had one of those meetings, and then this time you told them, I want to be touring, I want to do comedy, I want to I got a pilot I, that works. I've got a pilot, <laughs> I've, got, I've got all these pilots I've written. <laughs> I'm gay. I, you can't read them. Yeah, I can't yeah. in the pilot I'm gay, which is very different from my real life, where I'm constantly having sex with women It shows who I range love. there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I had a manager and uh but yeah nobody called me nobody told me that i was going to be on tv and i had like nine days to prepare Shit. and because i was new in new york i didn't know anyone and i didn't i had already like run through my visitors pass allowance of, <laughs> yeah. of shows of being new <laughs> oh, shit. and i was just like well how the fuck am i gonna get ready so thankfully some people will still like were merciful towards me and let me do their shows yeah and i just was like I'm just going to be as prepared as I am because there's nothing else I can fucking do, you know? Um, I feel like I'm going to title this episode like Chris Thayer does everything wrong or something. I mean, it really or feels like does. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, the 
at least the one benefit of doing everything wrong is that I can then explain it to you in great, great yes. detail. <laughs> Thank you. So that. sorry about this episode, by the way. Um, no, I'm learning a lot. This is great. Okay, so, but yeah, uh, I got to fucking fly to Hawaii to do the show, nice. <laughs> which ruled, and that was like one of the greatest experiences possibly of my life. Like swimming in a, you know, completely clear blue ocean in oahu staying at a resort and like hanging out with people who i started doing stand-up around like riding scooters on the like yeah. the, the highway in oahu with chris garcia who's like he started a few years before me but like i we're great yeah. friends and i love him and i was just like this is because of comedy this That's, is insane yeah it's like a crazy beautiful thing yeah so i do that and then i uh i get to i take my set ever fly back to new york plunged back into misery um <laughs> and then uh they yeah drop you like, off in to fucking december in new york yeah <laughs> okay they made me they actually dropped me directly into one of those like polar bear plunge mm -hmm, things it just mm -hmm. threw just me out it, into the ocean going. yeah <laughs> yeah so uh i'm back in new york i'm doing shows i am sort of getting my footing there a little bit but I had not committed in any way to New York mm -hmm. and like being there for any amount of time, which was, I think a big mistake because I just like let my emotions really run rampant with my life at mm -hmm. that time. And so anytime I was like, ah, I'm stressed. I feel something. I wouldn't even acknowledge that I felt things i would just be trying to figure out how to not feel them so i would be stressed and miserable and instead of like sitting with it and going like oh wow i feel stressed and miserable that's okay it'll pass i would go like ah maybe i should move back to la ah yeah and then i like i almost did twice and then i actually did on the third time when was that uh that was like in june of 2016 okay so you made it like seven months yeah i made it a little while it got nice right before i left i wanted to stay and i was so ashamed of telling my friends that i was gonna stay after i told them i was coming home <laughs> that i it was just such a bummer i was like i want to go back and i know that i'm not going to and it's so sad to me that i'm aware of that so, but that's how it worked and i went back and then i was surprisingly even more depressed <laughs> yeah in la because i was like oh i liked new york it just sucked for the time being but you like started, you know what I, this, this like interview is starting to sound like is tig Notaro's yeah. breast cancer special like the tone oh, of your she, voice she just, ain't got nothing on yeah it was like it sucked and then i was even more depressed guys yeah guys <laughs> if only they could lop off my depression at least i would have a solution yeah, um, all okay. of your scars are emotional sweetie that's that is so true <laughs> you, you should know, I was take off your about, shirt more often on stage though and just be like yeah. see here's a man being this vulnerable. is you have like the same body as tikantaro actually <laughs> oh my god i'll send you a picture after this but <laughs> just like it's X's been said on your boobs. yeah um, um we look very much alike yeah. but uh soul sisters anyway um I moved back to LA. I got fucking even more depressed and I was really, really, really miserable. Um, 
I did another You Made It Weird where I just talked about how miserable I was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was about a three-hour-long episode, so I was quite unhappy. Had uh, quite a bit to talk about. Mm -hmm. And then um, I got on antidepressants Mm. in late late 2017. Which ones? (sighs) Prozac and Wellbutrin. Had you ever been on antidepressants before, or was this like the first step? Those are the best ones. Um... This was the first time I'd been on antidepressants, but I had been trying, like, I'd done therapy and tried, like, 12-step groups and meditation and, you know, like, I had done ayahuasca and, like, you know, I tried all this other stuff as well. Yeah. And it was was just really getting pretty bleak, you know? Yeah. So, I got on antidepressants and uh, it helped a little bit, but I was still having a hard time i moved into a place like none of this is about comedy i guess this is all just about my fucking feelings or whatever Mm -hmm. but i uh i was in la for a few more months i moved into a place of my own uh the place had bed bugs i found out within the month oh my god and then i was like you know what i like i had been there one month i had just gone through the process of like trying to find an apartment in la it was just really disheartening and I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not going through this shit again. I'm I'm tired. I'm tired of being broke. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not feeling it here. I just need to like take some time to myself mm-hmm. and like kind of try to deal with my own shit. And so I came to Tucson in April of 2017. So real quick, have you had a job at any point um like, I know you were saying you were doing these little writing gigs off and on, and then you haven't really mentioned anything since then. I mean, I know you're you're making money touring some or, or, or whatever, but it's... Yeah, I've had, like, little, like, freelance social media stuff that I do. Okay. Um, just for, like, you know, various, like, friends hook me up with stuff, or I work for, like, a friend's business doing social media for that, or, yeah, intermittent, like, writing stuff, or... You get paid from um, Comedy Central and Adam Devine. Like you, you're. I literally getting... just got a check today for like six dollars and four cents from Adam Devine's house party. Yeah, mailbox money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a dream. Um, but yeah, I moved here to uh, prioritize my mental health over my career. Huge mistake. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but. Uh, it was actually, I mean, it's been good. I don't Why Tucson? So I had lived here for a little while in high school, okay. and I have uh, just kept in touch with a lot of the friends that I had here. So it was like, I know it's cheap, and yeah. like, the, I like the weather. It's beautiful here. It's, you know, it was just easy and, like, welcoming and nurturing. Yeah. And, so, uh, go ahead. Well, how, how often are you there versus on the road or other cities? Uh, uh, right now I'm, I'm about to go on a two and a half week tour, but I I feel like I've been here relatively often since I moved here. Although I would, you know, I go up and do weekends in Phoenix, like basically once a month featuring for somebody. And then I try to leave town whenever I can. And then also whenever people come through, I try to open for people here and I go to. I was going to LA probably every six weeks or so for a while. Um, okay. 
but yeah, right now I'm leaving for two and a half weeks. I get back. I don't have much lined up for February, but I'm trying to fill that in. And then like, I want to book a tour, a big tour for like March and April, like maybe a 30 city tour or something. Do you, so you have like, um, touring agent? No. So and I also, all yourself? side note, I don't have a manager anymore either. I fired okay. my manager a while ago. Okay. So I'm doing this all by myself and reaching out to people and asking like if I can open for them or whatever directly. So you just have like enough relationships where um, you're being able yeah. to do this. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, it's really just a shot in the dark. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I, ha- I have an email where I just say like, I've done these things and open for these people and, yeah, you know, would you be open to having me open for you? Or even sometimes I'm just writing to like a contact form on someone's website or their rep who they have on their site, you know? Yeah. And just crossing my fingers that like somebody's manager will take mercy pity on my email and be like, yeah, you can open for Dimitri Martin or whatever. Gotcha. Okay. Um, this is kind of random, but I saw somewhere that you opened for the OCs. What, how did that, Yeah. where was that? Um, that was in Phoenix. I know, uh, those guys and John from the OCs, the, like the, the everlasting member of the OCs, John Dwyer, uh, from San Francisco. Cause that's where they're from. And, uh, I actually opened for them a really long time ago and it was like really fucking bad. I was like pretty <laughs> new at stand up, and it was really painful. Like I wanted to quit afterwards. Gotcha. Um, that's so but, funny. <laughs> I yeah, just, I just like that band. I saw them randomly when I looked. No, they're the band. best. They're like my favorite live band. Yeah, in yeah. The world. That's so fun. But uh, yeah, we've stayed friends, and he's like, he sees stand up. He's really good friends with Anna Saragina, oh, cool. and like comes to their weekly show in LA a lot, which I used to be a part of. And uh, yeah, they just had he had me open for them in uh, in Phoenix, and it was great it it felt like redemption after what had happened years before that's so good (laughs) that's great yeah um okay we are running out of time quickly so we're gonna have to do quick uh quick rounds of stuff real quick do you have any like short-term goals that you're working on right now i would love to write a pilot (laughs) (laughs) um i uh would uh, i want to get this tour booked um i kind of want to figure out like if i want to move back to a big city and when gotcha so you're still in the whole la new york when what what (laughs) yeah kind of yeah it sounds to me like you should just stay in tucson for a little bit until you can you know go to therapy or whatever it is until the medication (laughs) comes out right yeah yeah (laughs) I mean, it's all good. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel way better already. Oh, good. Um, absolutely. But, uh. That's why they call it Wellbutrin. Oh, I actually stopped taking. Anyway, whatever. That's (laughs) part, part two will be another episode. But anyway. Okay. Yeah. Um, I feel much better. Um, I'm just like, yeah. Uh, There's just like an internal hurdle that has been there since I started stand up and, and, uh, I'm just trying to figure out a a way of engaging with that. If I can't get it to go away, can I at least perceive it somewhat differently? Yes. Uh, looking back on all this now, like, is there one piece of advice or like the best piece of advice 
you could give yourself in that first year doing stand-up? Mm. Um, I don't know. Uh, the first year, I just really committed so hard. You know, like I said, I did over 200 sets that first year and I was obsessed and like there was no focus on what the outcome would be. It didn't matter to me. And I almost wish that I could take advice from that time and sort of get back to that place where I'm not so concerned about like, is this going to work out and, you know, how do people perceive me or like my decision to move to a place like this? And do I have to like try to justify it or whatever and make myself seem legit because of my pride or my ego or whatever? It's just like, you just do it and it's a long fucking process, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. That's the first time we've ever had someone give an answer like that. They would like their first year person to talk to them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah. the one thing that I did learn quickly after the first year was just like, um, you know, balance is so important to everything in life, and it's very elusive at the same time. And I learned shortly after that first year of committing that intensely, like, oh, this balance doesn't work for me. Now I don't have a life to talk about. Right. But for that first year, I didn't notice that and I am sure that my ability at stand-up you know improved by leaps and bounds because I was doing hundreds of sets yeah yeah sometimes you just have to go back and forth between too much of this and too much of that yeah yeah um what's the best piece of advice anyone's ever given you um (laughs) um so sometimes people ask me for advice Mm -hmm. and uh i I don't really like to give advice because because like as you you know probably heard like i don't know what the hell i'm doing still you know yeah like Mm -hmm. i still feel kind of all over the place but i wrote Patton oswalt on myspace comedy Mm -hmm. (laughs) right when i had started and he gave me this piece of advice, which I generally tried to pass on to other people when they ask me for advice, mm-hmm. either in lieu of actually giving them advice of my own, or at least to preface me saying, look, I don't know shit, but here's some things I might say. Mm-hmm. What he told me was, and this is, I'm reading directly what he told me. He said, go in head first learn from your mistakes and don't judge yourself too harshly. The fuck ups you're about to commit are so much more valuable than any advice I can dish out. Yep. And that kind of covers, there's so much in that when I like look at that on paper or like on my computer rather, um, there's just so much in it. Yeah. Like learn from your mistakes. Don't judge yourself too harshly. You know, like the fuck ups are going to be so valuable. It's like, there's no one way you're just going to learn on your own. Just try to be gentle with yourself, but do it as much as you can. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, uh, 
now that you're well you're thinking about moving back to a big city is there one thing about the uh la or new york comedy scene that you'd like to change um yeah i wish they were like closer to each other (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, maybe like a a train like a high-speed train yeah yeah Yeah. um that would no i don't i don't know like Yeah, it's really just, I wish they weren't so far apart and so different. You know, they both offer things that are valuable that are very, like, vastly different. I feel like stand-up is so much better in New York. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the sort of comfort level and quality of life is better and sort of easier in Los Angeles. Yeah. Or can be. And that there are, like, a lot more opportunities available. Um, But I don't know. I don't know what I would change. I mean, when I think you ask about the stand-up scene in particular, like... Yeah, the stand-up scene in particular. Like, I don't know. I kind of... It's hard to say. Like, they they make sense to me why they are the way they are. To me, I think of it almost as a function of how the cities are structured. You know, like, there's less stand-up shows and there's like because there's less people to go to shows in LA because there's less people walking around and coming in off the streets and out and about doing shit you know yeah so like I guess it makes sense like that's what the city can support is like the the there's still a bunch but it's less absolutely it's less than New York you know just because that's what it can sustain yeah it does seem to be the consensus is like in many ways more comfortable in LA and but more importantly probably all these opportunities but the yeah. stand up is just better and well for me like public transportation public transportation public transportation <laughs> yeah. in New York yeah yeah um, huge deal yeah well but we gotta get that high speed train I agree with that um, all right, so let's move on to endorsements. So we like to endorse a comic. Um, that's really what it's supposed to be, although I keep fucking up and not having a comic prepared. Um, but I really have been enjoying this podcast, so I'm going to cheat and do a podcast. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. I'm cheating on my own. It's a cheat day. Hey, thir- <laughs> third week cheat day in a row. Um, but I've been listening to, because if people like this uh, podcast, they would also like this podcast, Let's Talk About Sets. And the people who do that podcast, they will wind up playing like maybe three different clips throughout and then they discuss the set. And it's it's just so much fun. And it's, uh, it's varying levels of fame for the comics that you hear. Um, and in fact, the most recent episode they had a little clip from Martin Urbano who moved about a year ago oh, I don't, hey. a year and a half I don't time means nothing to me um, from Austin <laughs> to New York um, so they played his Kimmel set and I mean, that was cool but it's just um, it's just great anybody who likes comedy whether they do it or not would love that podcast uh, I'd like to endorse uh, Shane Torres I saw him here for last year's Moon Tower um I think he was opening up for Brian Posehn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but super funny guy. Uh, definitely has that like pseudo meatloaf vibe about him, but mm-hmm. I enjoy meatloaf. Uh, the food it, or the band? I don't actually know what. I, I don't know. I used to stare at the Bad Out of Hell album cover oh, okay. when I was a little kid. So it's just very uh. ingrained in my memory. I don't um, know the band, yeah. but I love meatloaf. <laughs> yeah. Go on. Um, but just a really, really fun comic and not afraid to 
engage with the crowd and just be like fuck you you're an asshole and then i'm gonna make fun of you the rest of the time i love that um that sounds hurtful i don't think so i think it's good, <laughs> good like, naturedly ribbing okay. you know how sensitive they right. are brett don't Oh yes. my god! Especially when it comes to hot loads. <laughs> okay. That's the one thing they're not sensitive. Okay. Come on, Chris. Me, you want to endorse? Meat load. Me. Um. <laughs> That's a good band name. That is a good band name. Um. Okay. Let me think here. Well, Anna Sergina, who I mentioned. Yes. Already, she's so funny. Um, I saw her when I was in LA and she she's one of those like very silly absurd kinds of, I mean I think she mostly for 10 minutes played with the mic stand and it still yeah. somehow made me laugh a lot um, yeah so um, you're here I'm trying to think I know I have more I have a few so it's uh, okay if you just want to put one you know no uh, fine okay <laughs> <clears throat> gotta catch up uh, Anna Fabrega who is based out of New York is immensely funny. Um, there's a guy named Michael Hampton who did my show when I went on tour and I was in Nashville and like blew me away. It was the best. He's so funny. Um, there's a guy named Jeff as, as I think who maybe lives in Chicago. He's really great. And, uh, I mean, I love, Cape Berlant and John Early. Okay. That's yeah. it. So. That's it. I don't know why you're trying to suck up to all these people through this podcast, but... Um, also, no, you know, uh, I think managers are great. Uh, <laughs> I think anyone willing to write a pilot in my voice for a very small amount of money and no credit is that's a great guy to give a shout out to that person or woman (laughs) person or woman that was beautiful i don't know if you did that on purpose or not but (laughs) you said guy oh it's you responding to me i thought you were saying person or woman (laughs) which would be beautiful um hey i call i call gals guys too so um misgendering so well it's all people are guys to me it's yeah. just like dogs and cats are all guys too uh, oh yeah you, you i don't it. see women <laughs> yeah exactly. I, just see folks. <laughs> uh, I don't see women or whites that's my rule we're <laughs> all black guys in my in my eyes um it. i don't see asians either obviously <laughs> Uh, but who does? So small. Anyway, thanks for doing okay. this. Okay. Um, well. <laughs> these are all Chris's words. I was just reading a piece of paper that he mailed to me. Um, my space Not copy. true. This was a pretty good, yeah, through my space. There's a lot of letters I found. Um, and, but, yeah, thanks for doing this. I think it was pretty pretty good success for our first um, call-in show. Thanks for calling yeah. in, by the way. Thanks for... You're um, welcome. You know, thanks for finally dialing. You know, you're the, you're our first call-in. We've been giving our number out regularly, and I don't know why no one's called in, but... I think it's me. I think I put them all. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. <laughs> Bye, Chris. <laughs> Bye. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you.